Hello, this is the Homeschool High School Podcast, brought to you by SevenSistersHomeschool.com and the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network. I'm Vicki, and I'm so excited to have our old friend Kat Patrick back to us. And Kat is going to help us talk today about helping reluctant learners gain confidence and be successful in writing. So Kat, tell us about Dreaming Spires and about your homeschool family and all the cool things that are going on in your world. And then let's talk about reluctant writers. Okay. Hi, Vicki. It's really lovely to be back with you, although we can't be in person like we were yeah, in the research yeah. writing podcast we did about a year or so ago. But I'm, I'm so happy to hear your voice again and come and share with people today about reluctant writers. I do just want to just make one a slight change in what you said. I am a, a long-term friend and not old. Yeah, this is very true. That the, um, you, you've been around in the homeschool world long enough to have earned reputation and respect. And I've known you long enough to know that we have fun when we talk. So that's yeah. not old in age. That's just occupying your space in the universe. So good job. I'm clearly just not around adults enough right now (laughs) 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 and need to play a little bit okay so yes my name's Kat Patrick first of all I want to explain that I have why I have this uh, sort of odd accent and uh, I grew up in a small town in Texas um, went to university there and then I did a graduate degree in England met my husband who's British and lived there for 25 years so sometimes I'll be like yow 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 and sometimes I'll be like ooh ah posh 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 so, <laughs> that's why you hear these different sounds in my voice um, I have a PhD in literary history my specialism is prison writing in the interregnum I went on to teach for a, a few years in England at secondary school which is 6th to 12th grade and I had one class of each grade for English. So um, I'm used to um, teaching through the whole spectrum of that age, but I also homeschooled four kids from the beginning. Um, My eldest is Lauren, who is, um, she's a millennium baby. She's now going to start her second year of university at Mount Holyoke. And um, Vicki, I believe she did a podcast for you guys about this? Yeah, we interviewed Lauren before she headed off to her freshman year, and she told us about how she shaped her high school experience so that she was ready for a very selective, competitive college situation. And uh, she got into the college of her dreams and just had the best homeschool experience. So she's got a lot of good ideas in that episode. So I'll put links in the show notes. So it it's um, Lauren Patrick and how I found a cow I was ready for a competitive college. And the, the coda to that is she's had the most amazing year and she went in thinking she was going to be an English major and now she's looking into English and astronomy major. Oh my so, so that, you know, I love the liberal arts and this is, it makes me want to cry because I just, I can't think of anything better than doing yeah. a major in, in a humanities and a science. And she's also a swimmer yeah. and had a, a fantastic year. And she's also 4.0 student. So I'm very, my very goodness. pleased with her. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, yes. And and then my other three children are still at home, 17, 15, and 13. 
And my 17-year-old is my reluctant writer. I give a, a, a long talk about this in a lot of Charlotte Mason circles about how we began with barely getting him to write any kind of marks on paper when he was younger. And now he is a 4.0 student in his dual enrollment classes. Um, um. Ironically, or maybe not ironically, maybe true to form, uh, he loves Japanese and he loves music, neither of which requires very much writing. I mean, uh -huh. Japanese is like drawing symbols and things and mm -hmm. music is drawing symbols. And mm -hmm. so, but his writing ability is superb. And in fact, he's going to be doing my research paper course this year as his final thing with me at Dreaming Spires. And he is ready to smash uh, that. Yeah, he started out as a reluctant writer but he gained confidence. It may not be his favorite thing in the world, but he gained confidence and is doing excellently with it now. He is. And looking back, I can see this uh, amazing kind of, oh, I don't know, it's a little bit like an ocean wave. So if you're standing on the sea mm -hmm. and you get a wave coming in and then it draws back and the wave comes in a little bit further and draws mm -hmm. back, that is really what I see as a great analogy for a child's writing trajectory from preschool all the way into high school. And that I guess those that will kind of form the three-part discussion of today are these three phases, but I will truncate the first two because most of them happen in sort of elementary school and middle school. And I know the main one we're going to be looking at is the third. But So I'll just label them, shall I? So I'll just explain what they are. Yes. So first of all, I think we have to talk about what do I mean by writing? That could mean handwriting. Mm -hmm. That could mean just getting ideas down on paper, even if it's just talking about a film or a book or something you did. And then we get into composition, mm -hmm. which is probably the thing that most people are concerned with with high school. But I do find, and we were talking about this before we started recording, about how formal schooling, particularly going to sort of a public school or something like that, they uh, try to skip over the the stages really quickly, the first two, and get them directly into composition. And sometimes I think that there is a time to kind of go back and revisit those first two stages. Another analogy might be if you've ever done yoga or you do kind of stretching before you exercise or something and you're supposed to touch your toes, the first thing you do is you bend down and you might get maybe to your ankles if you're lucky and then you kind of stretch up again and you go down again and you might touch mm -hmm. the tops of your feet and then you go up again and then you might be able to touch your toes if you're lucky or whatever <laughs> but that's the thing about writing is that there are stages of it and trying to touch your toes directly may actually do more harm than good yeah it, it writing just like all of learning is a developmental process so if you understand that there are stages to go through that help make a more successful last stage of development, like the composition is the, the end product, then it helps writers overcome the, the blockages and the fears that they have. So, so tell us about the stages. The first stage is just the handwriting itself. And I feel like America is, is a, a country on its own, there's a lot less writing by hand in America than there is mm -hmm. in uh, international education. And the reason I can say that is that I still grade international exams and mostly they're 
two separate uh, question papers. Each one is two hours long. These essays are on tiny little lines, you know, like your college ruled lines, uh-huh. and they last 12 pages. Mm-hmm. And I was asking Lauren before I, I came to talk on this, what kind of writing she did at university and at dual enrollment. And she said she did have essays she had to write by hand, but I think she said they're mostly sort of 50 minutes at most. So as challenging and competitive as her school is, they still aren't writing to the same degree as a lot of international students do. And here's just one example of a place where we aren't challenging or, or asking our students of the same amount of uh, abilities that are found elsewhere. Yeah, and these days we kind of de-emphasize handwriting, but I, I just want to drop in a rabbit trail really quick. Writing by hand is good for the brain. And they have found that it actually helps when you handwrite, especially things like gratitude lists or things that are going well in life and you handwrite about that on a daily basis, that parts of the brain grow, that, it, that you can measure it, you know, if you do a PET scan, that are, are helpful in creativity and calming down. Um, so there's, there's some benefit to handwriting. And I know with Charlotte Mason, they concentrate on that a lot at younger grades, but you just don't outgrow the need to be able to capture words on paper by handwriting. So that's that's the first stage then. Before we leave the first stage, you're letting me segue into something really important uh-huh. about the first stage, something that doesn't go away even when you get into the later stages. And you mentioned Charlotte Mason and her the whole skill that is part of Charlotte Mason called copywork where you have a book, a poem, or something like that, where for 10 minutes a day, you copy by hand from. And this is just, it was a hallmark of the Charlotte Mason method to do this. I advise all my students to do this because there are so many things that they gain from it. For one thing, Mm -hmm. they uh, learn to retain in their brains a picture of the words. So if you read something from, let's say, a Wordsworth poem, um, Uh, the world is too much with us late and soon. I don't really know much more of the poem than that. Okay. So it's not like I've got this great memory, but the world is too much with us late and soon. So if you're just starting out with copy work, you might go look at it and say the world. And then you look at your page and you've kind of snapshotted the world as you write it down. And then it's too much so you then do is too much and then you know late late and soon is weird so you might go late and then look back and and soon and I don't know if there's a comma or a semicolon or something there at the end or nothing but you would also put in the punctuation but as you get better and better at copy work you'll mm-hmm. be able to look at the line and hold the whole line in your head so we're we've already got habits of attention mm-hmm. growing concentration mm-hmm. and picturing words in your head which is key for spelling and, you know, that's, that's useful for young children, but for teens who struggle, who might have some attention or learning issues, or just need to, to build neural strength, those kind of skills are very useful. And, you know, actually, Vicki, I do copy work every morning as part of my devotions, where I have a devotional book that has some scripture verses in it. And I used to just read them through. And, you know, I've read the Bible before a number of times. I've studied it a number of times. But when you write down that scripture by hand, things come out. 
that you didn't mm -hmm. notice. Mm -hmm. So copy work is something for everybody. Um, it also teaches not only just spelling and concentration, you learn vocabulary, you learn sentence variation, which is really important for the higher levels in that English exam that I marked. Mm -hmm. And some people are kinesthetic learners. It's brilliant for kinesthetic learners. Mm -hmm. So that's stage one. Yeah. <laughs> stage two then, well, it's the Charlotte Mason version of narration. Mm -hmm. There's a really brilliant book about narration by Karen Glass, G-L-A-S-S. -S. It's called Know and Tell, mm -hmm. K-N-O-W and T-E-L-L. And I know you're going to put that link in the show notes, aren't you? Yeah, I will do. Yeah. So yeah. it's a really great book for talking about primarily this narration thing, which is being able to tell back from the books that you've read. The really important thing about the second stage is reading, reading, reading is so key to good writing. Yeah. So, so what reading does is gives ideas and information and you know verbal pictures and all for teens to have something to work with when they write. Stage two is about reading and about narrating that back. Is is that like how would we say that in a sentence or two? The the second stage is about being able to tell back what you've been reading or what you've been okay. doing. And mm -hmm. that just adds the ability to express oneself, reorganize material, select important bits of the material. And when it comes to talking about books, you start moving into the expressions of explicit and implicit meaning. And uh, it's very common in middle school for children to be able to talk about what the story says. Mm -hmm. But the more they practice that telling what the story says, the more they'll start giving opinion, they'll start reading between the lines, they'll start coming out of the story and talking about the text as a, a you know, the structure of things, uh, the symbolism, possibly just naturally, they'll start adding more information that isn't in the text itself. And that is another sort of key stage of getting into composition. Because if you don't understand what it is you're reading, you're not really ready to compose yet. Well, and it's, it's, you know, useful at high school level. A lot of teens haven't had these kind of experiences and they feel reluctant about writing because they don't know how to capture ideas. So with the Charlotte Mason approach of the oral narration, so telling the story verbally is really a good step for a teen who is stuck, who has difficulty processing ideas or getting words out to just chat with mom about what happened in a story or what's going on in life and having a discussion about that, bringing that out, and then to begin writing like your son did without rules. He started out by just, you know, just kind of verbally vomiting out his paper. Yeah. <laughs> but over time, that gave the neural structure to be able then to think the ideas and then start building in the skills of turning it into a coherent paper, and then building those read between the line skills comes after that. Like it's, it's a process. Yeah. And then there's, there's one more stage after this, actually, I would suggest. Mm -hmm. Okay. After the, well, not after, I mean, it can be part of it, but if you've got this reluctant, let's call it min minim minimalist writer, then um, uh -huh, you can yeah. start asking them to get so many words 
and challenging them. Start off with mm -hmm. 150. When they get to 150 regularly, say, let's mm -hmm. go 200. And let's go 250. Mm -hmm. The flip side of this, and this is people who are not reluctant writers usually, they will actually create huge volumes of material in their narrations. I have some students, particularly yeah. those who are kind of on the, the autistic spectrum, who will practically memorize their book and write it down as a narration. This is another, not a problem, but it's a phase we need to move out of. For one thing, they're not processing the material in their own brain and telling it in their own words. The other thing is, and this came out when Lauren was applying for universities, the really top universities have as their essays a 250 word essay. Uh, so it's very limited. Right. That requires great skill. And so when I have mm -hmm. students who are really good at writing 800 words of a narration, I'll say, you must do only 250. One of the, the amazing things is when someone in 250 words can summarize a whole chapter of, say, Mansfield Park. Really digesting ideas and summarizing in, in a very coherent way. Right. And all of that is is underpinning before we get to composition. It can, it's still done while you're working on composition. But if you have a student who's been reluctant, these are tools and stages to encourage and look for. It's almost, I don't know, I wouldn't want to use the word remedial, but because it's not that at all, but it is shoring up mm -hmm. some of the, I know what it's like. I'm terrible at putting together flat packed furniture okay. because I, always skip step one. This is like a lot of times people have skipped step one and you put together something a bit uh -huh. wonky. So uh -huh. it doesn't hurt going back to step one yeah. and incorporating it, not just saying yeah. we're only going to go back to copy work or we're only going to go back to oral narration, but it should be or could be yeah. part of the stages as you're moving into helping your reluctant writer have more to say and more confidence. Yeah. So what's stage three? Stage three is when we get into composition, and that is fashioning material for audience purpose in the right voice and tone, following the, the expectations mm -hmm. of a genre, whether it's letter writing or speech writing or a story writing or whatever. And so there are a whole bunch of uh, different kind of rules to learn to fashion your material into those different boxes. Just like when you move from oral narrations to written narrations, there's kind of this ebb. There will often be an ebb in this as well. And it's with more practice mm -hmm. that they get better. I think probably there are stages in composition and for my own students i always start with what i call transactional writing which is the letter writing the speeches and that sort of thing mm -hmm. one of the things mm -hmm. i have them do is mm -hmm. look at models of letter writing and speeches and copy work that stuff if they're going to write newspaper articles mm -hmm. i have them actually look at newspaper articles because they're a very different style where you start your paragraph, you know, with who, what, when, where, why, how, all that. And then you kind of repeat it over yeah. and over uh -huh, again, uh -huh. getting more and more spiraling into detail uh -huh. in case in case the paper runs uh -huh. out of room and they have to cut off the end. It's it's not so common now uh -huh. that we've moved into the digital age and most most of the times they read things on the 
the computer and so there isn't really that need to cut yeah. off at the end but there's an expression called drop the dead donkey i don't know if anyone will have heard i have not heard that <laughs> well it used to be a sitcom in england based on this newspaper office and um the dead donkey is the ends of the newspaper that used to have to be cut off to fit into the template that they mm -hmm. had physically when they created newspapers through print and uh, um, you know with the template i mean i don't know if you ever saw those but they had frames where they would paste in the articles amongst the ads and all that kind of thing and it had to fit exactly before they printed it um so yeah. um, that's yeah. dropped the dead donkey so you write your article in such a way that if the bottom has to be cut off that information is mentioned already just not in such detail Mm -hmm. So, um, I usually start the students off with that kind of thing, the, the writing of the world, learning the different styles of writing, copying those and copy work, talking about maybe how a newspaper differs from a magazine article or a newspaper news feature versus a lifestyle feature. And looking at some of those examples, mm -hmm. again, building the wall of material. Mm -hmm. before I have them try mm -hmm. to uh, copy that themselves. And usually with my students, I will give them pro formas to plug stuff in to start with. And then, you know, eventually we'll get to where it's like, okay, write a newspaper article. And the pro forma is a format? Yeah, it's like a template. So plugging uh -huh. their stuff mm -hmm. in to learn how to do that. Well, I mm -hmm. do that with everything. I do that with even when we get into literary essays, they'll have a, a format to plug into to start with. And then they just learn to break away from that or develop more than the, the template yeah. they've been given. Well, once you have a, a format or structure in the brain, then it's easier to catch the details and the inferences and all the ideas that, that the teens need to learn to say and you know, plug them into the format and get good at that before they go on to new things. So that's a good developmental process. And I suppose here we can talk about the five paragraph essay. It's a really great place to start mm -hmm. to teach uh, students the organizational way to compose, let's say, an argument. But mm -hmm. it's a start, but it isn't at all the end. And the more that people will look at real essays, and study essays, the more they realize that, that that's a straitjacket to move out of. For those who want to, I guess, not stagnate in a certain format and then think that that is all that there is to do. There's always more to write about and, and ways of expressing oneself. And I suppose you can see that if you have a, a student who's passionate about something. My son, who's 17, uh, his name's Marcus. We can call because <laughs> I have two sons. So Marcus, <laughs> my ex-reluctant writer, he is passionate about Japanese jazz. And he will talk to you about mm. two hours about Japanese jazz. And I would hate for him to think that writing about Japanese jazz can be fit into five paragraphs. So it's a, it's a good format for starting. And for reluctant writers, they might have to stay with that for a while until they get their confidence, but they can move past that, just like your son is. So tell, tell us a couple of things that your former reluctant writer 
has written about and gone, you know, he's past the the format stage and is writing more inferential and out of his gut. Like what is, what are the things he's writing these days? So last year I ran a local co-op of homeschooled teens and tweens. And my son was in the group that did, it was called science fiction writing, but it was kind of a lot of dystopias in there as well. But he had to write an essay about, well, they had to write a short one about who had the best leadership qualities in the book. And my son was arguing that although he didn't like Jack at all, and he found him uh, despicable in what he did, he actually found as leadership qualities, he was able to get more people to follow him and take action than Ralph could. So that's the kind of arguments he's able to have now. So it's come a long way since uh, being a reluctant writer. Okay, so we're going to run out of time. And before we do, Kat, would you tell everybody how to find Dreaming Spires? Because you have so much to offer. Tell a little bit about Dreaming Spires and um, you know what kind of things you're going to be doing in the fall. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> um, Dreaming Spires Home Learning was started in 2012 when my eldest, Lauren, was 12 and the people locally to us weren't interested in going further in literature than we were ready to do. And so I hooked up with some other people around the world to do a live online class with about 10 students where we read really challenging and classical books using the Charlotte Mason method. And this grew every year until I was teaching four years of English. And then I started adding some uh, other tutors Almost everybody either homeschooled with me in a co-op we had in England or were people that I knew were experts in their fields. And most of the people are in England, although my science teacher is the person I met when I moved to Texas in 2016 and uh, she does the the science and we co-op together here. So they've all homeschooled already and they're all dedicated to the living books, living ideas of Charlotte Mason. And uh, we're on a college model where we meet live once a week and then have about four hours of homework on top of that that the student does in their own time. So I do four years of literature with uh, additional extra writing on top of that if people want to do it. We've got Spanish and French for three years. We have an amazing mathematics course for anyone who's got a real mathematics child, just really keen on it. My husband, who's an Oxford professor in mathematics, teaches it on advanced algebra and probability. Um, You only really need to have done Algebra 1, though, in order to do it. We've got Geography, Creative Writing by a Professional Writer, the Four Years of Sciences, so that's Conceptual Physics, Biology, Chemistry, and General Science for the middle schoolers. We have Mythology, New Testament, Culture, and Language, so it's not a theology course, but it's about the ancient history in Israel, and she teaches some Uh, Greek along with it. And then we've got an amazing history teacher. She's doing tutors and uh, longbows and roses this next year. She used to work at the Tower of London, dressing up in Tudor clothing and just has a great passion for Middle Ages, I suppose, and Renaissance history. I hope I've covered everybody. Sometimes I forget. Oh, no, I've got one more person. Art history is um, taught by a great friend of mine who, again, she examines it in England. She tutors it 
for people who are 17 and 18, but she also is doing an art appreciation for younger people. And my daughter took the beta or beta courses of these a few years ago and just mm -hmm. thought they were mm -hmm. just a mm -hmm brilliant courses. And we find it interesting that many medical schools are actually requiring their medical students to take art history for that objective observation. Mm -hmm. And so it's great for science, people going into criminal investigation or something along those lines, or, or medicine. Yeah. So uh, those yeah. are also available. Very good. All right. So give the website address. I'll put links in the show notes, but some people will go right from here over to your website. So what's the website? It's quite simple, www.dreaminspireshomelearning.com. Lovely. So thank you, Kat, for squeezing us into your busy schedule. I really am looking forward to seeing what happens next with Lauren and your other kids and, uh, and Dreaming Spires. So thanks for sharing your tips on the developmental way to help reluctant writers. I appreciate that. Thank you very much for having me, Vicki. So this has been the Homeschool High School Podcast, brought to you by 7sistershomeschool.com and the Ultimate Homeschool Podcast Network.